We're continuing today in this series that we've called Life Starts Now. It's in the Gospel of Mark. And we're trying to grasp this sense of the urgency or the immediacy of the gospel. And when you, when you encounter Jesus, how life begins fresh. And today we are uh, talking about the unexpected life. And we're going to be in Mark chapter 2, starting at verse 13. And we'll get to that in a moment. But I wonder if you've ever signed on to something, ever agreed to something that didn't quite turn out the way you had expected? Did you ever have an unexpected experience? Something like, you know, you volunteered to coach a kid's team. Uh, I don't know how many of you got roped into coaching because they use the classic, if you don't do it, there won't be a team this year. I fell for that. Um, That's how I ended up coaching Stuart's team. It was not great, was it, Stuart? (laughs) Thankfully, you don't remember too much because you were a little, that's good. Or you're, or you, you got a new job and you're just so excited and then it wasn't anything like what you thought it was going to be. Or, or you're volunteering or some of you got married and you say, man, this is not what I expected, <laughs> right? In a good way. In a good way, right? I have a hunch that Jesus' disciples were often thinking, man, this is, this is, doesn't seem like what we thought it was going to be. I think they were often Kind of surprised at the things that Jesus got them into. I I would say life with Jesus should lead us into the unexpected. And if the Christian life is completely predictable, I think we're doing it wrong. If your Christian life is completely predictable, we're doing it wrong. The Jesus life is not predictable because Jesus calls you to be faithful but not religious. He offers to save you because you're bad, not because you're good. He leads you into the lives of people who are not like you, not just to the ones who think like you and believe like you and vote the same as you. And Mark chapter 2, verse 13, we'll, hopefully we'll get all through. There's three scenarios here that that that, that are given it to us in this passage from chapter from Mark 2 from 13 on to verse 28 and three scenes unpack this toppling that Jesus does as he as he pushes down the expectations of both religion and culture and so we can remain seated today because we're going to come to these three passages but I want you to turn to turn your attention to Mark chapter 2 starting at verse 13 Jesus is still in the process of gathering his closest followers. This is early in his ministry. And in Mark's gospel, chapter 2, verse 13, he says, it says this, Then Jesus went out to the lake shore, again, we're on the Sea of Galilee, and he taught the crowds that were coming to him. And as he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Almost every scholar would agree that this is also, that Levi is Matthew, of Matthew's gospel. So same, same person. Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. And later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus' followers. But when the teachers of religious law who were Pharisees saw him eating with tax collectors and and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum or, or 
that's a little, maybe a little strong. Why does he eat with such sinners? Verse 17, when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I have come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. I'm one of those people that really hates to go see the doctor unless I'm really, really not well. This whole wellness checkup business, I don't like that. Right? Now listen, many of us, so we're going to call this episode one a question. Do I have friends who need to meet Jesus? Do I have friends who need to meet Jesus? Many of us in this room grew up in a faithful Christian family and your mom or your dad led you to faith at a young age. And I just think that's terrific. I think that is a wonderful legacy. Um, Others of you came later in the faith and I just think that's amazing, the rescuing work of God's grace. But those of you who were brought up that way, then you were brought to church and uh, and your circle of friends kind of closed in around your faith. And some of you were actually, and I've had some of you tell me this, you were actually taught that you ought not associate with people who are not already followers of Jesus. You are not to associate with unbelievers. But here's the big surprise in this passage. After Levi's very radical conversion as a tax collector, you know, tax collectors had a pretty bad reputation. These were, these were Jewish uh, people who, who were gathering taxes uh, from their own people to pay to the Roman occupying empire and uh, and they would take a handsome commission along the way you, you probably are aware of that Levi in this particular case was probably on a Johnny can you just take me back to that that slide this is a kind of a, a diagram of Israel at the time and the, the red lines are kind of major roads ancient roads that they still talk about those today in fact you basically drive those same ways via Maris way of the sea on the on the left King's Highway on the right and coming down from Damascus, uh, a, a lesser row, but still a pretty major one. And, and Levi's tax booth was probably right on that major trade route. And so he had a very lucrative spot. I mean, in terms of like location, 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 Levi had it going on. And so he would have been doing very, very well. And when he comes, when he converts and begins to follow Jesus and he leaves behind that tax booth, it's not like, hey, I'll just follow Jesus for a while and I'll go back to this later. I mean, you give something like that up and someone else moves into your location. And you're done. It's such a final decision on his part. But those trade routes are so important at that time. But here's the surprise. Here's the surprise. After Levi's very radical conversion, Jesus didn't rip Levi out of his circle of friends. Instead, Jesus entered his circle of friendship. That's fascinating. Jesus goes into that place rather than pulling Levi out of it. And he, and he drives home that point in verse 17. Jesus told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call those who think they are righteous, not come to call those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Listen, Jesus cannot help you if you cannot admit your need for him. For example, you, you, you generally all look amazing this morning. You look beautiful. You're just you look fantastic. But if we had a moment of honesty with each other in this place, we would hear us admit our struggles with alcohol addiction or drug abuse or mental illness or acts of adultery or gossip 
or battles with anxiety or pornography or grudges or unforgiveness and more. That's all of us. And if you're, if you're perfect, I, here's the past. If you're perfect, if you have it all together, you can go. You don't, don't stay here. We don't need you. There's no perfect people allowed here. So if you've got it all together, we'll just close our eyes, we'll count to three, and you just slip out quietly. Right? You're all still here. Oh, good. Okay? This, this sense of like, I don't know about that church, everybody looks. Yeah, because some people like to wear a tie. Fine. Some people like to wear shorts. Fine. But we don't get to see what's going on in the heart. But I guarantee that in this room, all that stuff I mentioned is happening. And some of you are grappling with it right now. And you think, I am such a screw-up. And Jesus says, I know. I'm comfortable with screw-ups. And if you're not comfortable with screw-ups, you also can go. No perfect people allowed here. It's amazing. People were offended that Jesus would eat with sinners. Because it looks like he might be endorsing their lifestyle, and he's not. And it looks like he, he might be sliding into their sin, and he's not. He did not behave like sinners to get the attention of sinners. He had their attention because of what was happening in Levi's life. Levi's friends are like, what? Levi, Levi, he's not collecting taxes anymore? We got to see this new friend that he's met. They were drawn to Jesus. And it's a significant challenge for many, if not most Christians. Because the more time you spend in your faith, then the fewer connections we have to, to the people who actually need Jesus. People who need your testimony. But listen, here's the good news. You have a sphere of contact. You might have to think about this for a while. But you have a sphere of contact. 8 to 15 people, right? Who God's already placed you in their life and placed them in your life. And they're the ones who need to know that God loves them and has a purpose for their life. They might be family or co-workers or friends or neighbors. They might be struggling Christians. They might be unbelievers. They, they might be something in between. But you are their missionary. And that's, and that's good. God's already done the hard work for you of putting them in your life, putting you together. So don't retreat from those people. Don't retreat from those relationships. Make those relationships real. Because God's put people in your life. You just got to dig and figure out who, who it is. Who's watching you? Who's already in your life that needs Jesus? Okay, so that's episode one. Who in your life needs Jesus? Episode two, let's carry on. Mark chapter two, verse 18. Once when John's disciples, that's John the Baptist, okay? John's disciples and the Pharisees were fasting. Some people came to Jesus and asked, why don't your disciples fast like John's disciples and the Pharisees do? And Jesus replied, somewhat cryptically, of course. He says, do wedding guests fast while celebrating with the groom? Of course not. They can't fast while the groom is with them, but someday the groom will be taken away from them and then they will fast. Besides, who would patch old clothing with new cloth? For the new patch would shrink and rip away from the old cloth, leaving an even bigger tear than before. You know, when I was a kid, my mom patched my jeans. That was the day when, you know, we didn't have a lot of money and you may do. But mom always had to use some other old jeans to patch on the new jeans. She taught me this very lesson when I was a kid. She says, well, if I put something new, it's going to 
shrink. I was that kid who had massive patches on my knees. All these emotional scars. I was not one of the cool kids. I promise you that. Still not. All right. Verse 22. And no one puts new wine into old wineskins. For the wine would burst the wineskins. And the wine and the skins would both be lost. New wine calls for new wineskins. Here's our episode two. Can I welcome change, not just accept change, abide change, tolerate change? Can I welcome change for the sake of the gospel? Can I? Will I? So you've got this passage. Jesus goes into the story about the groom and, and you don't fast when you're at a wedding. I mean, you don't go to a wedding and say, Ah, uh, no thanks. This is a good day for fasting. No, you bring out the food and you celebrate and it's a, it's a big party. And, and scripture throughout uses this, this metaphor, this picture of the, of the bride and the, and the groom. God is the groom in the Old Testament and Israel is the bride in the New Testament. Jesus is the groom and, and the church is the bride and the day is coming when there'll be the great wedding feast of the Lamb. It's called when we're united with Jesus and it's going to be a season of celebration and fast and, and, and feasting, not fasting. And in this time, there was really only one fast required at the Day of Atonement for the for the Jews. But over time, traditions had developed four kind of four key fasts through the year, and you were expected if you're a good religious Jew, you would do these fasts. And, and, and look, fasting is good. We encourage it. In January, we'll have 21 days of prayer and fasting. We we think it's a it's it's a biblical practice, and Jesus encourages it. But but it has got to be for the right reasons. And it can't be a religious show. Look how religious, look how spiritual I am. I, I'm, I'm fasting, everybody. So what's actually happening here? Jesus, he broke the traditions and the patterns of religion, not as an act of rebellion. Listen, this is very careful. Some of you, some of us have been taught that, you know, Jesus was a rebel. Jesus was not a rebel. Bible's very clear that rebellion, in fact, in the Old Testament says the rebellion is the same as witchcraft. Any people who say, oh, I'm just, I just love being rebellious. Stop. Stop. I mean it. There is nothing holy about being a rebel. We're submitted. We're under the authority of God. So don't fall into that trap. Jesus was not a rebel. He was ushering in something new. He was not discarding these good habits, these good disciplines like fasting and prayer and, and tithing. This new cloth and this new wine picture is just, it's Jesus telling them, hey, a new era is coming. Something new is going to be, is happening here. The the prophets had promised this. You can read back in Isaiah 43. God says uh, through Isaiah, something even now, something new is coming. Do you not see it? Or later in, in Jeremiah, Jeremiah 31, we're, we have this promise that God's going to take the written law and he's going to write it on our hearts so that we have an inner conviction of how to please God, how to live for him, and not just keeping the written down rules. They knew something new was coming. They knew it. But here's the tension. Here's the tension. Traditions like this, oh, you got to fast four times a year. Traditions are meaningful because they almost always start for good reasons. Traditions almost always start for good reasons. But perpetuating them 
just because it's what we've always done is a dead end. Our family has a little tradition. Friday nights, I've shared with this with you before. We make the pizza dough. Everybody takes their own pile of dough. You roll it out. You put on your own toppings. Cook it on the barbecue. You watch some Top Gear or Grand Tour or lately old episodes of Twilight Zone. Super trippy, right? That's our, that's our family Friday night tradition. This has been going for 10 years, right? This summer, Becky and I on our vacation, we were in Salt Lake City, Utah to, to meet with and encourage one of our church planners over there, Phil and Melissa Weeb. And, uh, and, and we just wanted to bless them and then we had some, they had some other people over. We said, listen, we'll take care of dinner. It's Friday. We'll, we'll take care of dinner tonight. We'll do our Friday night pizza tradition. This is perfect, right? So Becky got all the fixings, made the dough, got everything ready, taught everybody how to do this, roll it all out. Got it. You know, I saw that at a barbecue. Well, we get to the point of the barbecue. I'm like, Pastor Phil needs a new barbecue. Like, uh-oh. And, uh, you know, it's that embarrassing thing of like, ah, oh, this isn't going very well. And it's not, you know, it's, it's, oh, it's just so awkward. And it's like, why isn't this working? Well, because you took a tradition that had a purpose and a value in one place and you, you try to hold on to it and preserve it and we're going to do this. Traditions have a season and they have a place and they have a context. But when we hang on to them because it's what we do on Friday night, it's a dead end. And there's a difference here between faithful biblical practices and traditions. So, for example, fasting or meditating on God's word or generosity or prayer or fellowship. These are not the same as musical genres, clothing styles, programs like Alpha or Awana or Sunday School. Right? The faithful biblical practices are the habits of discipleship. The traditions are simply vehicles... To help develop those habits. Lead us into those habits. They're a vehicle to get us somewhere. I noticed in the parking lot this morning, not a single Model A Ford. I don't know what's the matter with you. That was a perfectly good car. Four wheels and a steering wheel and got you where you needed to go. Why aren't you all just driving Model A Fords? Because a 2012 Ford Focus is a 10,000 times better. Because a 2017 Dodge Caravan can accommodate everybody. It doesn't break down. Why do we need better cars? Well, we have better technology, but we have, we, we need to travel more. All these things have, oh, vehicles have changed. Do you understand traditions are a vehicle to deliver something, but it's okay that things change. And, and most of our practices are just that tool or vehicle. And, and, and over time, they, had a, they have a purpose, but over time, those practices lose flexibility. Like an old wineskin, Jesus says. You understand that? The wineskin was meant, you had a fresh wineskin, you put the wine in while it's fermenting and developing and it expands because all the gases and stuff in there. And so it stretches out and that's okay because it's new wine. It's got, but you can't put new wine into that already stretched out wineskin because it'll burst, it'll ruin the skin. 
and the wine. Over time, the practices themselves become more important than what they were meant to accomplish. You know, Wednesday nights here, we have this phenomenal program called Alpha. Pastor Stephen's leading it. It's just an incredible opportunity to explore the Christian faith, ask questions, refresh your faith, get by understanding what you believe. But I guarantee you that there's going to come a point when that will have kind of run its course and Stephen's going to say, you know, I, th- I, think, I think this other thing is going to be better. Or we've reached a point where we need to do something differently, right? But if we ever say, well, we got to do it because we've always done it, that's a bad day. But the church is the place where we most hang on to our practices. Why? Because we associate them with godliness. Like something good happened and then it's just like, oh, that was so precious, so meaningful. And then everything else in your life is changing and you're frustrated because you, 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 you don't, you got that dumb smartphone. I mean, that smart, I mean, that whatever it is. You got that dumb user using a smartphone. And that's funny. And, and then that, and then they updated the, all your apps keep updating. And then you updated the operating, like, ah. And then something else changed at work and there's new policies and then, and then, uh, then you had to replace your stove, but you got to figure out all the, just, can I just go to one place where nothing's changing all the time? Let me just go to church and just let it be what I always thought. And I just be with my friends. It just like, just leave it the same. It doesn't work that way. Because it's a vehicle to deliver the gospel. And the context is changing. So we got to adapt to what's happening around us. Are we willing to use new wineskins for the new wine that God wants to deliver? And Jesus made that point that when we enter a new season, methods and structures will have to change to accommodate newness. What's going to make, what's going to best make Christ known for the world around us? What's, what's going to help us best disciple people? Should we just keep doing more of the same thing and expecting different results? And then how do I lead you into habits of faithfulness? Without getting stuck in traditions that become sacred cows. Anything we hang on to because it's what we've always done is a sacred cow. And sacred cows are idols and God does not tolerate idolatry. Years ago, someone wrote a book called Sacred Cows Make Gourmet Burgers. (laughs) Listen, old stuff's wonderful. I love my traditions. But God has new wine. Can we trade in the old wineskins for the sake of the gospel? For better things. One more episode. We can can do this. Mark chapter 2, picking up at verse 23. One Sabbath day, as Jesus was walking through some grain fields, his disciples began breaking off heads of grain to eat. And by the way, this was allowed in the law. In Deuteronomy, he talks about this. You could you could gather grain through a grain field if you're eating it and not putting a sickle to it. So this is this, they're not stealing anything that's permissible. And but the Pharisees, verse 24, said to Jesus, Look, why are you breaking the law by harvesting grain on the Sabbath? 
And Jesus said to them, haven't you ever read in the scriptures what David did when he and his companions were hungry? He went into the house of God during the days when Abiathar was high priest and broke the law by eating the sacred loaves of bread that only the priests are allowed to eat. And he also gave some to his companions, who, by the way, were some pretty questionable characters themselves. And Jesus said to them, the Sabbath was made to meet the needs of people and not people to meet the requirements of the Sabbath. And so the Son of Man is Lord even over the Sabbath. I think I've shared with you before that I grew up in a home that that pretty strictly honored Sunday as the Lord's Day. We did no field work on Sunday. Uh, I recall that there were some years when we even lost part of our raspberry crop because my dad was adamant we do not make people work on the Lord's Day, even if it costs us. We never... I mean, never ate out on Sundays because my dad believed it hypocritical to make others work on Sunday. That's how I grew up. And it helped at that time that most stores were closed on Sunday where we lived, so you shopped on a Saturday. And then years later, working in a restaurant in my college years, I found that Sunday was the day no servers wanted to work. Nobody wanted to get scheduled on a Sunday. Not because they were observing the Sabbath, but because the place would fill up with nicely dressed Christians who were the cheapest. I was, that's in my notes, most demanding. And no tipping. tipping. The worst tippers, most demanding. Did you work in food service? Yes. And quibbling over the bill, right? It was an embarrassment to be a Christian. It was an embarrassment. People knew I was a Christian. I was in Bible college. The bartender tried talking me into leaving Bible college to be a bartender. I would have been an awesome bartender. Right? It was an embarrassment to be a Christian because I didn't want to serve Christians. Actually, I should just call them church people. And I trust we're doing better. I I trust that you're giving Bethany a great reputation when you go out to eat on Sundays. Even if that's the only day you tip generously, please, please. They see you. They know where you, they know you're from church. Please, please. I'm just begging you. We're calling this episode three. Will rules or relationship have a priority in my life? Jesus did not abolish the Sabbath. He redefined it so we'd understand what it was for. The Pharisees thought Sabbath was about keeping the rules. It was kind of to prove how good you were at keeping the rules. Show your righteousness. Prove your worthiness to God. No, none of that. The question could have been this. Why do you keep the rules? Why? Jesus told this account of David... And the altar bread, it's, if you're taking notes, you write down 1 Samuel 21. You can go back to it later. It was to show that God is seeking a heart of obedience. A relationship with Him. Which is for the glory of God. And God is most glorified when other people put their faith in Jesus Christ for salvation. It's not meant to show how good we are. It's meant... The Sabbath and these other laws that God gave was meant so that we would develop 
a life-giving, I love that term, life-affirming relationship with God. So I want you to consider the rules in your life. What's the purpose behind what you do? For example, I have a rule in the morning. That's not a written down rule, but it's my rule for my life. I get up in the morning, I open my Bible, I do my R&R devotions. Why? I have to ask myself, why am I doing that? Is that so I can develop my relationship with God and out of the natural flow of that, make Christ Jesus known to others? Or do I just do that so I can tell you I did that? Sometimes my motives are not perfectly pure, I promise you. What if your rule is going to Bible study? It's what I do. I go to Bible study. Or I go to Sunday school class. Or is it to gather Bible knowledge? So you got lots of Bible knowledge. Or is it to deepen your relationship with God so that out of the natural flow from that, you can make Christ Jesus known to others? In this little section, this episode, Jesus wanted the Pharisees to see that God loves his creation. And he's given us, it's a gift from God. He says, look, there's a day of the week. I want you to, don't keep toiling on this day. Set it aside. Take a day of rest and worship. Connect with God and connect with people and enjoy what I've given to you. It's my gift to you. It's not an end in itself. Well, I want to see how good you are keeping the rules. Let's see if you can do this one. No. It's for your benefit so that you'll make time for God and for relationship with others. And it's like that with all the other things. Jesus is Lord over those things too. What's the priority for you and for your life? Is it rules or is it relationship? Christy, would you and the worship team come join us? You're going to lead us in this closing song build my life what are you going to build it on what are you going to build your life on is it is it checking all the boxes is it is it keeping things rigidly the way they've always been it's it's not one or the other it's not rules or relationship jesus didn't say don't worry about the sabbath it's no big deal no he's not advocating chaos he's not advocating rebellion but he wants us to prioritize a relationship with God and with people so that we'll benefit in our own life and thus bring glory to God by leading others to Him. It's always the end goal is getting people to Christ so God is glorified. Three episodes, three life-changing questions in this unexpected life. Do I have friends who need Jesus? If not, widen your circle a little. Secondly, can I welcome change for the sake of the gospel? Listen, there's so much stuff I love. Boy, you, some of the stuff in the past, I just, I just love it so much. But it's not going to connect with those people from question number one. And thirdly, will the rules or the relationship have priority in my life? Let's pray. God, I just, I just, I struggle to even get into the heart of Jesus of what you were doing here. 
I would love to have just walked through that grain field with you and just heard what you were teaching and not get hung up and like, oh, Andrew, grab some, some grain heads. You didn't, you were going for the heart. Jesus, I want you to have my heart. Wherever that's going to go, whatever new wine that's going to be. And friend, if you're here today and you do not know Jesus personally, I, I have to give you this opportunity. It's not difficult. A, admit that you're a sinner and you need him. B, believe that Jesus Christ is the son of God. He died for sin and rose again. And C, commit your life to follow him all your days. It's an A, admit you need him. B, believe in Jesus. And C, commit your life to follow him. If that's you today, if you're saying, yes, I want Jesus, would you make a point of getting with Pastor Stephen after service or me and just say, I'm ready, I'm ready for that.